today regarding suffering because I think it will be a blessing to you as you hear the proclamation of God's Word this morning. And indeed, I've entitled the message, When Suffering. In other words, what do you do when you suffer? What's the biblical response? How is God teaching us? What does He want us to know when we go through suffering? How many of you have those questions sometimes when you suffer? What does God want me to do? How do I respond? How do I give a witness for Jesus in the midst of my suffering? How many of you have wondered that? Raise your hand. Okay? Yeah. So we're going to be touching on all those subjects today and even more. By the way, sometimes I preach long, right? You guys know that. Why do I sometimes preach long? Because I want you to get it, right? And, and sermonettes make Christianettes. Right? A 10-minute sermonette doesn't help us grow as far as I'm concerned. So sometimes it takes 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes for us to teach and I am a teacher, and Pastor Tim is a teacher, to teach you the Word of God. And the reason we want you to write it down is so that it sticks, and you can put it on your refrigerator and think about it during the week, and so forth and so on. So that's why we oftentimes do what we do, okay? All right, the text for today. Acts chapter 7. This is one of the most powerful portions of Scripture, guys. I can't overemphasize that. It is powerful, Okay? And we'll set up the context here in just a, just a minute. Okay, verse 54, Acts chapter 7. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Suffering. All of us go through it. Some of you have suffered emotionally. Some of you have suffered physically. Some of you have suffered relationally. Some of you have suffered emotionally. And as a result of that suffering that we go through, we sometimes wonder how should we cope? And what kind of witness can we give? And what is God up to in the midst of my suffering? Because God is up to things in our life when we go through hard times. And we need to understand that right off the bat. That when we suffer, emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is, whatever we suffer, God is at work in the midst of that. God is not abandoning us. He's not forsaking us. He's not standing up in heaven looking down upon us and saying, you're pretty much on your own. He is very much involved in our lives in the midst of our suffering. 
Now, sometimes the way we cope with our suffering is we kind of pass it off and we say, well, it's really not that big a deal. I'm not going to complain because it really wouldn't do me much good anyway. How many of you have said that? Raise your hand. Yeah. And that's okay to say that, but that's not very proactive regarding your relationship with God and what God has to say about suffering, okay? So what we want to do today is look at this whole subject of suffering in the context of a fellow by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was selected by the religious leaders, the spiritual elite, if you will, those who were faithful followers of our disciples, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples. These faithful followers said, we need someone, since we're so busy preaching the gospel, we need someone to care for widows and dispense food to the poor, okay? And so they prayed, and they chose Stephen to do that very thing. Now, Stephen not only was a man who cared about widows and those who were hurting, and cared for those who didn't have anything to eat, but he also is a mighty proclaimer of the Word of God and unapologetic about his faith. A mighty proclaimer of the Word of God and unapologetic about his faith. And so you see in the book of Acts, chapter 6, going into chapter 7, him proclaiming the Word of God and doing signs and wonders, miracles testifying of God's power and grace upon him. And he was, the Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, what we call the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes didn't like Stephen doing this stuff. So they apprehended him, and they were going to imprison him, or worse, as we find out. So what does Stephen do? He starts preaching in front of them. These who are adversaries to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he starts preaching to them. And he talks about Abraham. And then he talks about Jacob. And he talks about Joseph. And he talks about Moses and the people of God bowing down to a golden calf. Okay? And he talks about other things as well. He talks about David. And he talks about Solomon. And he talks about the building of the temple until he comes to these words and now nails these guys about their involvement in the crucifixion of the Son of God. And this is what he says. Note this, as he says this to this religious elite, these people who are not believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to what he says. You talk about tough words, listen to this. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Are those some tough words? Do you think the religious elite said, well, thanks for sharing, Stephen. That was very nice. No, they were upset. Now they want to stone him. He was saying, you guys are responsible for the crucifixion of the Son of God. And in essence, he was right. The same ones that oversaw Jesus' death were now standing before Stephen, and Stephen was nailing them through the proclaimed law, saying, you guys crucified and murdered the Son of God. So now the suffering begins in the life of Stephen. And here's the first fundamental point I want you to fill in. Okay, when suffering, see what? See what? See the presence of God in the midst of your suffering. See the presence of God in the midst of your suffering. Go ahead and look at verse 54 and 55 in your outline. It's right there, okay? Now, when they, namely 
the Sanhedrin, the religious elite, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, when they heard these things from Stephen, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. What does that mean? They were so mad, they're going, like showing their teeth, like your dog does, you know, when he's not fed. You know, I'm hungry. Okay, these guys were hungry to put this guy to death. They were grinding their teeth at him. They were so upset at what he had said. Verse 55, look at this. But he, namely Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he could have been upset. Stephen could have. He could have retaliated. He could have gotten into a fist fight. He could have said, God, zap him. Let him have it. Get me out of this situation. But instead, he looked heavenward and saw Jesus. Big points in the midst of your suffering. Look heavenward. Would you turn me down just a little bit, Joe? Look heavenward and see Jesus. In the midst of your suffering, don't get tunnel vision on your circumstances. Don't get tunnel vision on how unfair life is. Don't start moaning and complaining, weeping and crying about how unfair life is and how difficult your lot is. Just see Jesus, guidance, direction, blessing, comfort, power, and authority in the midst of your suffering. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what I do when I suffer. The first thing I do is get tunnel vision about my angst. You know, I look at that and nothing else. I fail to see the presence of God. I fail to look at Jesus. I fail to be comforted by the grace of God. I just focus on my suffering. Did Stephen do that here? Yes or no? No. Well, these guys were gnashing their teeth ready to put him to death. He looked heavenward, and he saw Jesus. Listen to this. I'd encourage you to write this verse down. Isaiah 26, verse 3. I've committed this to memory, and every time I feel like focusing on nothing but my suffering and not seeing the presence of God in the midst of it, I focus on this verse. Isaiah 26, 3. God will keep at perfect peace the mind that is stayed on him. Let me say it again. God will keep at perfect peace the mind that is fixed, oriented, and founded in Him. And this is what we do in the middle of our suffering. We worry about and we focus upon our circumstances instead of trusting God, listen to this, instead of trusting God in the midst of those circumstances. You ever notice that? If we say that Jesus is in control and we're not supposed to worry, you can't have trust in Jesus and worry about our problems at the same time. The two are incompatible. Either we're trusting Jesus fully or we're focused on our fears and our worries. Did you hear that? Either we're trusting Jesus fully in the midst of our problems or we're focused on our worries and fears. If we say that Jesus is Lord, worrying about things is unproductive and unnecessary. Did you hear that? If we say that Jesus is Lord, worry and fear is unproductive and unnecessary. If we say, I'm in charge of my life, then we start worrying. 
Are you with me? Can I get an amen? So this is what Stephen did. He chose not to focus on his circumstances. Not to look at these guys that were ready to stone him to death. Rather, he looked heavenward as we should in the face of whatever adversity we're facing. Look heavenward and see Jesus in the midst of it. And take Jesus' hand and allow him to lead us through it. Because Jesus will do just that. We sing that hymn. Lord, take my hand and lead me upon life's way. Protect, direct, and feed me from day to day. Without your grace and favor, I go astray. So take my hand and lead me tomorrow and today. Love it. But don't just love it. Live it. In the midst of our suffering, see Jesus in the midst of it. Secondly, in the midst of our suffering, profess God's providential care and his grace and favor upon us in the midst of our suffering. Profess our faith, allegiance, and devotion and faith and dependence upon God in the midst of our suffering, especially when those around us are not believers. Because the world is looking at us when things go wrong in our lives. It's easy for us to say, when things are going right in my life, I trust God. But it's difficult to say, when things are going wrong in my life, I still trust God. And the unbelieving world looks at us and says, well, it's easy to trust your God when things are going your way. When you haven't lost your job. Or when you haven't gotten sick. Or you haven't lost anybody in death. And you're financially secure. And your kids all know the Lord. The unbelieving world looks at us and says, yeah, it's easy to trust your God then. But when the chips are down and the frailties come and the difficulties mount, what will you do then? Let's go back to our text. Let's see what Stephen did. It's so cool. Verse 56. And Stephen said, it's in your outline. Go ahead and look at it. Verse 56. And Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. By the way, he didn't have to say that. Right? I mean, he saw Jesus. That could have been enough. But he knew if he said, I see Jesus, who you crucified, who you guys nailed to the cross, I see him right now. He's alive, he's well, I'm looking at him. He knew that if he said that, he would be persecuted, right? If he said, I see Jesus, he's alive, you guys nailed him to the cross, I see him right now. He knew he'd be put to death for saying that. But he professed his faith. Despite his circumstances. Now let's read on. Go ahead and look at it, verse 57 in your outline. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. How'd they do that? They took him outside the city walls of Jerusalem. There was a large precipice there. This is what they did. They threw him over that precipice. It was probably 15 feet tall, hoping he would die when he hit the ground. But that didn't happen, and so they finished off the job by stoning him, by throwing huge boulders on him. Now look at this, verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named, guys, look at it, named who? Saul. Who's that? He became the apostle Paul. A few months later, he was converted to Christianity. He went, listen to this, through great persecution. 
as a result of his newfound faith and devotion to Jesus Christ. And bet your bottom dollar, he remembered what Stephen did in the midst of his suffering and pain. He professed his faith, allegiance, and devotion to Jesus Christ, even though he knew he'd be put to death for it. That stuck with Paul, who at this time was Saul. And don't you know that had an incredibly powerful effect on his walk with Jesus later in life. When he was faced with persecution, he probably thought Stephen went through it, so can I. Stephen remained faithful to Christ, so will I. The unbelieving world watches us when the chips are down and the struggles come. And they say, what will you do now? What kind of faith will you profess now? They're watching. I recently went to Mike Hiller, who was a former senior pastor's retirement celebration at Peace with Christ Lutheran Church in Aurora. I went to that a couple weeks ago. Powerful event. 350 people there. He was at that church for 36 years. He started it. He was the only pastor they ever knew. 350 people were there. Two years ago, his wife was diagnosed with cancer and went through much of the stuff many of you have gone through have gotten cancer, loss of hair, chemotherapy, nausea, and all that kind of stuff. And people didn't say much to her while she was going through that, but I heard testimony after testimony after testimony about her impact and her faith and her devotion to Christ, despite her circumstances, had a powerful effect on all those who watched her. When things go wrong in your life, the world is watching. Does your faith work? Does Jesus Christ truly change the attitude and disposition you have about life when things go wrong? So take those opportunities. In the midst of your suffering and pain, to point people to the one who gets us through it. Amen? I'm not done yet. But... I want to nail that point with you. Okay, so first thing is, we see God in the midst of our suffering. He's the one who brings us through it. Secondly, we point people to Jesus in the midst of our suffering. And when we're going through hard times, we don't give up our faith. We give a testimony about the grace of God. We say stuff like this, Jesus will get me through. I'm confident he'll give me the strength to endure. We say stuff like that. We could say a lot more, but we don't have time. Let's go on to the third one then. Release. I love this. What do we do then? We not only look to Jesus, we see Jesus in the midst of our suffering. We look for opportunities to profess our faith in the midst of our suffering. And thirdly, we release. What's that mean? We release forgiveness to those who have hurt us and caused our suffering. Did you hear that? Some of you are suffering right now because of the hurts of others. And either you can let it go and forgive them or hang on to your grudges and your resentment. Which one do you choose to do? Stephen chose to do the first. Let's look how he did it. It's amazing. Look at this. Verse 60. And falling to his knees. Imagine this, guys. He's, okay, he's, he's down below. 15 feet above, people are hurling stones on him. 
huge boulders. Boof, boof, boof. Now this has driven him to his knees. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. Can you imagine? He could have said, Lord, I'm going to quote the Psalms now, the Psalms of David. Vindicate my day. Zap him, Lord. Let him have it. Punish him. Kill him. No. He chose to say, don't hold this sin against him. Where did he get that, by the way? Where do those words sound familiar? From what event? Crucifixion. First words that come out of Jesus' mouth after people rejected him, mocked him, hit him, beat him, crucified him, mocked his divinity. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. How could Stephen say that? I'll tell you how. And by the way, I've talked to people down through the years who said, I will never forgive that person. I just can't. Really, what'd they do? And then they say it, and it's bad. But it's nothing compared to the sin that we've inflicted upon our Savior. I want to ask you, what did we owe God? We owed Him a perfect life, full and complete obedience to the Ten Commandments. As a result of that, we have sinned against God. And God would have every right to cast us away from his presence and to throw us into hell. God could do that. But God, in his infinite mercy and grace, allowed his son Jesus to go to the cross. And whoosh, he laid all that sin on him and punished his son instead of us. And our sins are forgiven. We owed God a perfect life. Poof. Paid in full, it's done, don't worry about it, it's forgiven. Stephen knew that. He said, how can I harbor a grudge? How can I want to retaliate? How can I want to get even when God in his infinite mercy and grace has saved my soul, forgiven my sin, and given me eternal life? I have no choice but to forgive. So I want to ask you today, who is it in your life that you've not released forgiveness to? Like that song from the movie, Disney movie Frozen? You got to let it go, right? Got to let it go. For us to carry grudges and resentment against people in our past. Have you ever noticed who's punished the most when we carry that stuff? It's not the people who hurt us. (laughs) They've gone on with their life. They're doing their thing. They don't even know half the time how they've hurt us. And by the way, the godly thing to do when someone else has hurt you, according to Matthew 18, is to go to them and be reconciled. But we oftentimes don't do that either. And we see people that we're mad at, and instead of being reconciled to them, we don't talk to them, or we treat them badly, or we let them have it, instead of letting it go. There's a book I read many years ago by Max Lucado called Traveling Light. And one of the things he emphasized in that tremendous book was as we make our way through life, travel light. 
Don't carry the baggage of resentment and anger and bitterness with you throughout life. It's too heavy. It's too big a cost to pay. Simply release forgiveness to those who have hurt you. So my question is today, who do you need to do that with? Take a lesson from Stephen because it's a powerful one. So recently, I I think of this story that occurred eight years ago where a man that I know very well lost his wife in a tragic car accident. His wife passed away. A few months later, he fell in love with another woman. And his 30-year-old son at that time didn't agree that his dad should start dating at that time. His dad ended up marrying that lady and eventually got divorced. The son confronted his dad and said, see, I told you so, dad. Why didn't you listen? I'm out. To this day, this young man has not talked to his dad, even though they live 10 minutes apart. It has grieved this father so deeply that he now is choosing to move a thousand miles away from this son so that he can get closer to his other son with whom he has a good relationship. For the last six years, for the last six years, this father has not talked to his grandkids. Can you imagine? They live 10 minutes apart. And this son is so angry, first of all at God, secondly at his dad, He can't let it go, and it's ruined his life. Don't do that. God is speaking to you today, saying there's someone in your life that you need to forgive. Let it go. Release that forgiveness. So, Here's what we do in the midst of our suffering. Number one, we look to Jesus. Number two, we profess our faith. Number three, we release forgiveness to those who have caused that suffering, if indeed that's what's caused that suffering to occur. And finally, number four, know. Know where we're headed. Know that the best is yet to come. Know that this is not our home. Know that we're on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey. We're travelers. We're wayfarers headed to our final destination, which is our home in heaven. This is not heaven. And as much as we would like to make this a utopian state and watch all these different commercials from Democrats and Republicans alike who are going to fix everything, nothing will ever be fully fixed down here. Amen?